welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Troy Valencia is an aboga provider at the Awaken Your Soul Retreat Center in Costa Rica. He has a master's in analytical chemistry in East-West psychology and is currently studying for a PhD in clinical psychology, writing his dissertation on the efficacy of aboga as a psychotherapeutic tool. So really, this makes you such a good guest, Troy, for this podcast, really bringing the chemistry aspect, the spiritual stuff in and integrating it all to see how it can be really used to help people holistically. So I really love that. Thank you for being here. Of course, I'm very excited to be a part of your show and thank you for honoring me by asking me to come on. Thank you so much. Um, And before we go any further, a couple of things. First of all, guys, I've got a really bad cold. (laughs) So please excuse my husky voice. (laughs) But also, I just want to give a really quick summary of what Iboga is before we go any further, because I don't think many of you have heard of it. And I hadn't heard of it until fairly recently um, as my work with um, psychedelics has sort of become a little bit deeper. um, Iboga is a psychedelic plant medicine, which is made from the tree bark of a little shrub that's found in the West African region. And it's most well known in the use of people who really struggle with drug addiction, drug and alcohol addictions. And that's been the area of greatest study. But I think that, or my my, my impression is, Troy, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that it can be used in multiple sort of settings and it's probably not exclusively needs to be associated with with drug or alcohol addiction addictions at all um and i'm really curious as to i guess your introduction to this medicine and your experience in working with it so far yeah thank you that's a beautiful introduction to iboga um what I would say is, is yeah, in, in Gabon, it's, it's, I think it's important that we first root back into the indigenous peoples who are holding the bearers of this medicine. Um, and so in Gabon, this is used mostly uh, for ceremonial and rites of passage work, um, initiation experiences, um, which I've gone through myself out in uh, Central Africa and Gabon at a beautiful village named Ibando. Um, and so to them, to the Buiti, you can think of the Buiti as an umbrella term. And under the Buiti, there are many different traditions, the Masoko, the Feng, the Sumba, there's, there's many in there. Um, and so to the Buiti, this is a tool that actually connects them to the, their ancestors. Uh, it's a way to connect to the other side, you could say. Um, and so, yes, there is that aspect of it. There is the, um, the aspect in which most people know for its ibogaine treatment clinics, which are 24-hour medical facilities focused specifically on detoxing people. And then, yes, there's a psycho-spiritual element to this medicine is what we do at Awaken Your Soul. 
Um, and if you can think of it more of like allowing yourself to enter a visionary state, uh, I guess you could call it a shamanic state of trance where, um, the other side becomes accessible. Memories that are lost become accessible. Emotions that are trapped in the physical body become accessible. Uh, and so, yeah, you can use it to explore um, the various dimensions that you are. Oh, wow. That's such a beautiful phrase. It allows you to explore the multidimensional being that you are. That makes me just really enchanted. Um actually. I mean, can you maybe take us through some of those experiences that you've maybe guided people through? Because I think just before we started recording, you mentioned that actually the work that you do in that in the center is is guided. So you actually help navigate people through this multidimensional landscape and I'm so curious as to how you do that and what has unfolded in your experience doing that sort of work yeah it's uh it's actually the coolest part about the job to be honest with you is it's called the psycho-spiritual journey uh, I think it's best maybe if I start by telling a story of someone who came to the retreat uh, this is a gentleman who I've asked if I can share his story um, with others, and he was very open to it. So I um, just want to make sure I name that. Um, this fellow reached out to us uh, with an addiction to pornography, actually. So he identified himself as a sex addict, done all the therapies, uh, psychotherapy work, um, past life regressions. He's, he's tried it all. Yeah, Reiki, yeah, a whole list. Um, so very, very, very focused on healing. Um, so the drive, the inward drive was there, I should say, to the start. And so during the ceremony, he ingests the iboga, which is a, wood, a root bark of a tree. Um, and so, yeah, we serve the medicine, he takes it down. And once he starts feeling the physiological effects, which might be a buzzing, a tingling, a numbness, maybe a sensation in the head, a variety of symptoms could come on. Um, he lays down in his mat. And with Iboga, the way it works is you put a mask on and you lay down on the bed uh, for about eight hours. The whole entire journey is about an eight-hour experience in terms of the visionary state you go into. Um, the reason why we put the mask on is because, as I'm sure you know, your third eye isn't uh, an esoteric idea. You actually have photoreceptors on your pineal. And so what's actually happening with Iboga is these photoreceptors are being um, enhanced, so to speak. And so you are picking up on subtle forms of light, which are all around you, which you can think of it as the spiritual dimension. Um, etheric dimension is another way to say it. And so you put this eye mask on and now you go into this visionary state. And so someone like myself or another trained provider will come over. Um, what we'll do is we'll drop a red powder on your third eye. The red powder from Gabon symbolizes the women's menstruation. We also have a white powder, which is symbolized by the men's semen. In the Bwiti tradition, everything is balanced, masculine and feminine. And so you'll hear someone say something like um, basi, and basi means truth. And as someone says truth, someone might say yao yao, which also means truth. It's the same thing. So if I say something that's true, someone will say basi, and another person will say yao yao. And so there's this very nice balance, almost like a yin and yang in Chinese medicine approach towards this uh, this tradition, this wisdom healing tradition. 
And so we'll put the red powder in your face and I'll start to rub your third eye in circles and I'll start tapping. And I'll wait and I'll ask you, let me know when you can see my finger. And mind you, the person has an eye mask on. It's a very, very trippy experience because the people always end up laughing and kind of like, holy shit, excuse my French. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're seeing your finger tap on their third eye. So once that happens, we know that the medicine's in the system, third eye's open and they're ready to go. And so from that point, there's many things we can do as a provider. It really depends on the needs of the individual. We can take someone back into their childhood. I could say something like, I want you to find your childhood home when you're three years old. Voila, it will appear before the person's eyes. And I'll say something like, okay, I want you to go inside. And so with this gentleman, what I did was I took him back to his childhood. And we started at the age of three and we experienced some traumatic events within his household. We moved to the age of four, age of five, age of six. And at the age of seven was a specific event. And mind you, the medicine is the one guiding this, right? Because it's not like I'm directing, I ingest the medicine too. And so I allow myself to be on the same frequency. And in truth, um, the way that I have been taught and the way that I, I train others is uh, that we must surrender ourselves as the facilitators to be an instrument of the medicine to work. And so if you think about it, you're giving the medicine another avenue to connect with you through us. And so he gets, this gentleman gets back to the age of seven and this fight breaks out inside the house and he's watching it. So you imagine it's almost as if you're watching a movie. He, he sees himself at seven years old and he sees his parents in the other room fighting. Um, the reason they got in the fight at this particular time was the mother found the father's pornography collection. So a big fight breaks out. There's a physical violence in this fight. Um, as it settles down, the aftermath is that the mother throws all the father's pornography into the trash can. But this little boy at seven years old wakes up in the middle of the night. He goes outside. He reaches into the trash can. He grabs one of the magazines and he runs back into his room and hides it under his bed. And through all his analytical work with the therapist, um, he discovered that this was the source of his pornography addiction, which makes a lot of sense. And so, so as I'm guiding him in a psycho-spiritual journey and we're reliving this moment, um, it's hard to explain, but it's almost as if I can see it as well, right? Because I'm also on the medicine. So as he's telling me this story, my vision, my imagination, whatever you'd like to call it, is projecting an image of this as well. And the medicine tells me to have him go back in time. So I say to this medicine, hey, I want you to go back in time to right before you reach into the trash can. And so he goes back and I said, I want you to follow yourself. And the second you reach into that trash can, I want you to ask the medicine, what is it that you're actually looking for in this trash can? Yeah. And so the guy goes and he says out loud, medicine, what am I really looking for? And in a, in a snap of the fingers, tears start pouring out this guy's eyes. His body starts to get tight. I can see him squeezing the necklace on his chest. And through the tears and the expression of these trapped emotions, he says, love. And what happened was this little boy who was never given affection or attention by his parents, who was sent off to the boarding school at the age of eight years old and completely forgotten by his family, was so desperate and hungry for the love of his parents that in his own mixed up way, he believed that by having this pornography magazine, he had something in common with his father. And so his entire life as his pornography addiction, quote unquote, continued to grow into kinkier and kinkier forms, which he called a sex addict, 
He was never a sex addict. He was a child looking for the love of his parents through pornography. And for this gentleman, this was his ticket out of his patterning, his addiction, quote unquote, as we would say. Um, this was his, uh, this was his way to peace, to freedom, to liberation. And coaching this man for about eight months retreat. And I could tell you right now, his entire life is different. The addict addiction portion of him is gone. Uh, he has a very healthy relationship. He just bought a recent house, a fixer upper. He's in school. Um, and so what you see with Evoga and the psycho spiritual journey is there's a myriad of ways in which one can gain more clarity as to the point in which maybe you can call it a soul fracture, a part where the soul might have split from the path of life you're on. And it helps you to essentially return back to that flow, that natural flow of the river of life that's occurring. What's, what comes into my mind is what Gabor Mate has really, I think, shone such a beautiful light on is when asking someone about their addiction, instead of asking, what is your addiction? The question really should be, what is your pain? And mm -hmm. I think this is just such a demonstration of, of that. Actually, you know, because I, I see you using air quotes when you're talking about addiction, that these, these patterns that we go into, that we've used to survive with in quite harrowing yeah. um, circumstances as children, then become maladaptive as we grow. And we, we do at some point want to break free of them. Um but they can be really hard to break free of if we don't actually get to the source of the pain that's causing them. And so through this plant medicine, it sounds like you're really able to tap into deep subconscious memory and have a very felt experience of that memory and are then able to rewrite or re-relate to the memory, um, which allows us to actually forge a different relationship with that part of ourselves, that part of our identity that has become so ingrained in us that we actually haven't been able to disentangle ourselves from it. Um, does that sound? That's, that, that is, that is exactly, exactly it. Um, and it actually leads into the chemistry of what's actually occurring inside of the brain here. Um, there is this thing, it's called the glial cell lined derived neurotropic factor. You can think of it as a GDNF protein. Um, this, this research comes from a woman named Deborah Marth out of the University of Miami. Um, there's a man named Claudio Naraho who was one of the first to ever use um, Ibogaine as a uh, therapeutic tool. Um, and so this line, it's some stuff that I've researched as part of my, um, my dissertation. But what's so interesting about this GDNF is in the first three years of your life, this GDNF score is at an all-time high. And the reason is because it's responsible for building your brain. If you think of your brain as a building, a construction site, these GDNFs are like the little workers that go in and do all the labor. And they're actually rebuilding the neurons um, that allow your brain to function in the way it is. And why is it, why is it between zero and three? Well, if you think about it, you're actually learning the most amount of information in this period. You're learning how to talk, how to walk, how to communicate your needs, what you like, what you don't like. 
there's so much that we take for granted in our adult lives that happens and is learned at this, this critical stage in our growth process. And so after the age of three, this GDNF factor actually drops down for the rest of your life. And what's so interesting about Iboga uh, is after you take a dose of this medicine, um, you would find that this GDNF score is at an all-time high. And that's considering weight-to-weight ratio of a little person to an adult. And so what is that saying? It's saying that your brain is in a brand new state of renewal, of repair. Or to draw a simple analogy, you could think of it like doing a remodel of your home. That's essentially what's happening. And so, yes, you're able to go in through these visionary states and you are able to restructure yourself, restructure your life. I think Dr. Joe Dispenza has a beautiful book called The Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Well, this is that. I mean, this is what you're doing with this. And I should say, you don't need to have someone take you on a journey. People could journey on their own. Um, it's just having a guide with you, especially someone trained, who really understands how to hold someone with a sense of compassion, who knows how to surrender themselves to the medicine so they're not interjecting their own stuff into the equation. Um, you know, either way with Iboga, you could get there. Um, but it really is about the container of being soft and held. And that's what we do at Awaken Your Soul. We have created a very soft, nurturing container for people to come and go through these experiences. Would you say that the majority of the people who are in search of um, help with this medicine do come from a place of feeling addicted to something, whether that be like pornography or or drugs, alcohol? Would you say that? makes up most of the clients that come to the center or yeah are there other things that you've seen a profound impact with as well yeah it's actually a really beautiful question um and yeah i I mean i could sit here and tell you that out of six of the ten most commonly addicted substances in the u.s uh, iboga works to um shatter that addiction or bring more clarity around why the addiction exists but it's actually not addiction to substances or gambling or opiates that i see the most the number one addiction i see is actually an addiction to suffering it's very very interesting it's almost as if the addiction itself is to cultivating a lifestyle of suffering in the subtlest of ways and you 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 find that hard almost to believe but maybe i can say from my own experience um I think we shared about this a little in the, in the pre-talk, but I, I grew up in the foster system. And so for me, um, I was abused for years and years and years on end. And so what would happen as a result of that, as, as a child would come into the home and I would meet this kid, I started to learn at a very young age as a little person that in two or three months, I'm going to be separated from them. And so what I started to do was not make connections with people. I started keeping them at a distance. And that learned trait, that learned pattern became a part of my adult life. If I met someone who was genuine, who was loving, who was kind, I found creative ways you could imagine to ruin the relationship. It's the way I live my life. And so this addiction to finding suffering in my life, which obviously was rooted in trying to stay safe, was really my addiction. It was this this deep entrenched uh, pattern. And so you see that these addictions aren't just to drugs. They're a safety mechanism that we find, and Gabo Mate talks a lot about this, but the real addiction is to the suffering, is what I see. Ooh, that sounds, that sounds really, really uh, uncomfortable. And before you were finishing that story, I 
was, I guess what came to me is like, you're clearly a really talented psychologist. And I wondered how does this actually enhance you in talk therapy? Because I guess I notice in the questions that you have been posing to these people um, are very astute, you know, just noticing, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're taking them to periods of time that you know have triggered them um, in their past. And then you're asking very astute questions around that time in, in the response that they give you. And I sort of was wondering, okay, but I guess you could be asking these in a talk therapy session. How is this different? But then as the mm-hmm. story progressed, I guess then the medicine giving the client all of these other opportunities that allow her to see just and integrate and experience and understand that, oh my gosh, this is a pattern. I've been doing this the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. That really helped land that concept for me. Um, how would you say working with a plant medicine like a boga, how would you say it, it enhances the therapeutic process? Yeah, um, I think the easiest way to say it is that experience transcends faith, right? It's one thing to go into a talk therapy session and talk about these wounding patterns and these childhood mechanisms we put in place or to talk about whatever in this setting. Uh, and it's a completely other thing to experience it from this observer perspective. Again, um, from this adult mind who can bring a new clarity, a new insight, a new paradigm to these old situations. And I'll, I'll say too, you know, you know, um, I, I, I live, I live by a specific model with this work and I use the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi when I do this work. And the way the prayer starts is, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And what St. Francis did was he had this prayer he would recite before he would go work with people. And in this space, he would almost surrender himself to the service of a higher power. And so, yes, I'm asking these questions, but it's not me. Um, It's not. The the benefit of it is it's allowed, allowed me to... Um, actually work with compassion and compassion means to be with. And so as you're going through this experience, I have so much compassion coming on me that I'm actually with you. I feel what you're going through. After the ceremonies I lead, I purge sometimes. I throw up after the ceremonies. It's stuff that um, maybe the person couldn't move from their body that I'm moving. And so there is, um, yes, there's an aspect of it where I am involved, of course, my physical body's there. But it's beyond us. And I think the true work of this job is to stay the hell out of the way, honestly, and to give the medicine a medium to connect with the person. And, you know, not everyone has to go back to the childhood. I don't take everyone back. There's some people where I might have them envision and find a beautiful garden and walk down a set of stairs through a door. And I might say on the other side of that door, I want you to journey with the medicine somewhere it wants you to take you. And it takes them to all types of places. And so there's many routes. It just depends really on what the person's needs are and meeting them where they're at is, is the real, is the real trick to this game. Um, but there's many ways to go. There's many ways to navigate. And as you're in it, 
guiding this psycho-spiritual journey, uh, it's like I said, I think the one real secret to it all is to just surrender yourself. I put my head before I start speaking to them and bow in honor and reverence. And then I surrender myself to the medicine and the journey begins. Can you talk us through a typical ceremony you started? Like, because that, from what I understand it, a typical uh, Iboga ceremony is done in two parts. There's a ceremony that symbolizes death and a ceremony which symbolizes rebirth. Do I have that correct? Is that a structure that you, you use? Is that sort of only in specific traditions? Um, does it depend on who you're working with? Tell me more about what a typical, uh, if there is such a thing as a typical Iboga ceremony. <laughs> typical is a, an interesting word to use with Iboga. Um, what I would say is if you were to go to Gabon uh, and you were to get initiated, um, yes, you're going to go through a rebirthing process. The whole time you're going to be called a Bonzi. And a Bonzi means uh, a baby. And so, yes, there is a process of being reborn, rebirth. They'll take you to the river. They'll do a spiritual shower on you. They'll cleanse you every single day. Um, and then you go through your initiation. And the other side, you come out with a spiritual name. Um, so, yes, that is, I would say, maybe the framework of the experience at our retreat. Um, we also do two ceremonies. We don't name them a death and a rebirth ceremony. However, what I will tell you is um, in the first ceremony, I always wear black. Uh, I wear black myself. And it's very similar to what you said, because I understand that there's going to be a process of, um, I think alchemy would explain it best. So one of the first steps of alchemy is calcination. So you take something like a piece of wood or whatever it might be, you put it into the alchemical fire or an actual fire and you burn this thing down to the app, right? And so for me, the first, and that's part of the negrado phase. And so for me, I wear black to represent that negrado phase, right? We're gonna burn down this structure of beliefs, which you've built over your lifetime using this medicine. We're gonna, we're gonna give you some, you're gonna go through experience and it might be uncomfortable at times, and it might be beautiful at times, but we're gonna burn you down to this proverbial ash, the raw components of what you are. And the second ceremony, I wear white. Uh, you can think of that as a rebirthing process. And for me, that uh, represents the later stages of the alchemical process, uh, where we're actually taking these components in which we've purified and sublimating them and creating a, a structure of our life with them again. Um, and the ceremonies don't always follow that agenda because it's up to the medicine. Um, and so, yeah, we have two ceremonies. Um, we'll start off around 9 p.m., I'll do a torching ceremony. It's a traditional practice. We use this big torch called the Mopeto that comes from Gabon and filled with a sap from a tree called the Okame. Uh, beautiful process in making it. It's very, very difficult. I, I made one in there when I was in Gabon. And the last step, you have to roll this hot sap up in the in the torch leaves. And I went to go do it. And the guys in the village, the indigenous men, like laughed at me and like pushed me aside. or like, no, you're not going to do it. And you know me, I'm like, no, I want to prove myself. And so I grabbed it and I started rolling and within seconds, my fingers were covered in blisters and I couldn't do it. And so they, these torches they make are these very beautiful uh, tools we use. And so we'll do a torching ceremony. After we'll bless the medicine. Next thing you know, we'll be serving the medicine, the iboga. It's a very simple process. We'll take a spoon. You introduce yourself, your full name, your mother's full maiden name, your father's name. You'll tilt your head back and I'll drop a set of wood onto your tongue. You'll drink it with water or you can chew it. 
if you want to um, access the alkaloid profile quicker. Within about an hour, you'll start to feel the physiological effects. You'll go lay down in your bed. We'll tuck you in with your eye mask, make sure you're comfortable. And over the next eight hours, nine hours, you'll be going through uh, an experience with Iboga while the indigenous music is playing in the background. And that whole thing together becomes a ceremony. In the morning, we will close the ceremony by blessing the medicine again. And at the retreat now, we call this Discovery Day. So this is a whole day where you have time just to recover. The next day after that, after Discovery Day, we do a spiritual shower for the guests. It's another full recovery day. And then the next night after that, we do ceremony round two, and that process repeats itself. Um, and so, yeah, the thing with Iboga, it's a very long experience. Um, and it's meant to be that way. It's not just a one-hour, two-hour thing. I mean, you're going to be through the ceremony eight, a full eight, nine hours. And when Discovery Day starts, you're still going to be in this state. And the best way I can describe it is you'll see people sort of just staring off with no thoughts on their mind. It's it's a very, very beautiful state. And the one thing I've cultivated in my personal life from constantly being around the medicine is this silence and stillness of the mind has become a natural part of who I am. Even right now, I'm in the jungle of Costa Rica and there's birds around and it's amplified. And I mean, I can hear every single sound because my mind is silent. Um, and obviously that comes with the practice after Iboga, but um, in terms of the ceremonial space, that's the way I conduct them. I was trained by a man named Anthony Esposito, who is the founder of our retreat. Um, and for the last, uh, yeah, month, eight months, I've been um, running the space. Um, he's a beautiful man. And one of the most amazing things he ever taught me about him, the medicine is we were sitting in a ceremony when I first came here. And he looked at me out of nowhere and he says, um, the medicine is the hunter of the truth. And he says to me, he says, and the medicine knows what it's hunting for. And when you ingest it, so do you. And for me, that was the big understanding of saying, wow, when I'm working with this medicine, I become a hunter. And my goal is to hunt the truth and help people find the truth of whatever it is they're looking for. And so, yes, there's a birth and a death process. And um, I could say there's an alchemical process in which I go from my own personal practice. But the real essence of it is we're going hunting for the truth. The truth of who you are, the truth of your traumas, the truth of your conditioning, the truth of your liberation, whatever it might be. It's the hunter of the truth. The hunter of the truth. And we may not like the truth. Basi. <laughs> <laughs> we may not like the truth. And there's so many mm -hmm. truths that I think we uh, can become very delft at avoiding because it's inconvenient um, to to meet the truth because once you know it you can't unknow it um and, and and i need to say and that's okay right we we i've had a guest who something came up in the journey he, this guy was a former navy seal and he's done a lot of very difficult things to process and in the journey the truth came up and he wanted to put it away and he asked me he said can we stop we were in the middle of a psycho spirit journey i was like of course and in the integration circle a few days later he said i feel really bad because um, something came up and I wasn't willing to face it. And what I told the man was, that's okay. It's okay if you're not ready to hold the truth because what you've done is you've shed some light on it. You know it's there. And now it's okay to put it into a little box and put it aside for now when you are at a space to actually hold the truth. The point is, is that you've brought the flashlight out and you've taken a glimpse of it. It's no longer something in your unconscious or your subconscious or your shadow quality 
that's manifesting illness or disease or traumatic life events. It's something that you know is there and you can address it in your own time. And so it's important that people know too that um, just because they're looking for the truth doesn't mean that they have to face it all in the moment. You can touch a little bit of it. You can, you can sniff it, you can feel it out and take your time with this truth. That's actually really reassuring to, to know actually, because I've heard that Iboga has quite, it's been said to me that Iboga has quite a grandfather energy. And once it has you, it doesn't let you go. So my impression with working with <laughs> is that it's quite a, it's quite a difficult medicine to be with because, yeah, once it it wants the truth and it won't let you go until you face it. So, well, well, it, <laughs> the the actually the very first tradition ever formed from Iboga is called the Dusumba. And in their origin stories, the first two people to ingest the medicine were both women, and they recognize Iboga as the queen. And one of our elders in the space who trained me, um, a beautiful woman named Maud, she actually refers to it as Grandmother Iboga. And so um, what you have to understand is that there's different traditions, like the Masoko is a very masculine tradition that comes with the medicine. And yes, in certain people who are providing from a Masoko stance, you might be the grandfather, like, hey, you're going to learn your lesson today. But that's not the way we have found, um, especially for the Westerners. Um, there's, a, there's a different form of approach which needs to be made. And, and yeah, a very feminine, a very soft approach with the medicine goes a long way. And you see that people are like, oh, I didn't expect it to be like this. And the reason is because the space, the container, I think Michael Pollan says it best, set and setting. The space, the container, and then how are the facilitators meeting those coming to the medicine are we meeting you in a masculine way like you've got to go through this and you're ready and handle it and don't cry or are we meeting people where they're at exactly where they're at no more no less and i think that's the real magic of what um, anthony created when he brought up awaken your soul and um, what we're continuing to grow this place and transform it into is is a way of working with iboga but in a softer approach that actually meets the needs of people as opposed to force them, which sometimes people need to be forced. But at our retreat, we, we, we don't do that unless the person says to me specifically, I don't care what happens. I want you to push and push and push. Then I will meet them where they're at. But as a blanket, our approach is very soft, very feminine. And yeah, a lot of us refer to Iboga as grandma Iboga. I have experience of a masculine energy in it. Um, so I speak from the grandfather perspective. But yeah, many of us here or others, we all refer to it as grandmother Bola. Yeah, it's funny. We want to label it somehow. I noticed that, like even yeah. ayahuasca, like there's many people who are calling yeah. grandmother energy. And then when you actually speak to a lot of the shamans who have grown up with the stuff, they're like, oh, we, we don't actually even assign a, a gender or a, or being masculine or feminine. It is. It is. So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Um, and I'm guessing this is a really different sort of approach than to a lot of Iboga clinics or Ibogaine clinics that are uh, available, I guess, very popular in Mexico. When I say very popular, I mean, I don't think they're like, I don't think they're ego, they're mm. and giggles, like, but they're, they are, uh, in Mexico and, and Portugal as well, I guess in these countries where it's not regulated or it's decriminalized, um, <laughs> these, these clinics are, these 
clinics have been set up in particular to manage, I think, these very, the, the websites very much speak to those who are suffering from drug and alcohol addictions. Yeah. Um, which I'm guessing has a really different energy. So you're going to be coming at the medicine with a very different energy and a very different intention. So I'm, I'm imagining the experience will be of a different flavor. For sure. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's funny. If you, I was doing some research in my dissertation and um, what I did was I searched all the companies where opiate cells are uh, significant in these countries. Ibogaine Clinic is focused on working specifically with Ibogaine, which is just one alkaloid of Iboga. Oh. Um, so there's about 14 alkaloids within the actual Iboga itself. Ibogaine is just one. It is the most common. It's, it takes about 70% of the plant itself. Um, and so, yeah, they can get it from the iboga, the tabernacle iboga, or they can get it from a plant called the vokanga. And a vokanga has a large amount of ibogaine, and the sustainability of it is a lot. Um, yeah, it's a lot better to take it from vokanga when you're working with an ibogaine clinic. And so, yes, what they have there is a 24-hour medical facility. Um, and what they're going to do is whether it's an IV or through a pill form, you're going to essentially take a massive flood dose of Ibogaine. Uh, is a visionary experience of it, for sure. Um, and um, when you eat the entire root bark in its purest essence coming directly from the jungles of Gabon, um, there is a different interaction with it. And I've heard that from, I've never done an Ibogaine treatment, a flood dose. I've definitely had flood dose of Iboga. Um, but yeah, that's it's essentially, different in one is a full medical facility with 24-hour care because people are detoxing usually in these facilities and then with us with iboga it's more of a psycho-spiritual approach um, after you've gotten clean you can come to us and then we can work with the medicine in a more um, holistic holistic manner but yeah it is a very very different experience both are very beneficial um, and yeah the ibogaine clinics are a beautiful beautiful tool if you're someone who is uh, struggling with especially with the substance abuse substance addiction, anything along those lines, and you're really looking to get clean and reset, going to an Ibogaine clinic is important. And I would say probably the most important part is having integration support afterwards, having someone there and hold you in the process. Um, because yeah, it's one thing to go and do the work to get hit with this flood dose. <laughs> and it's another thing to come home and to have these, um, these temptations put in your face and to have someone there on this journey with you. We have a really lovely woman at our retreat who runs our integration program. Her name is Maya. She's an Australian woman, um, master's degree, education as a spiritual counselor, um, a meditation teacher, and she uh, kind of oversees our integration. Um, and so, yeah, we refer a lot of people to her and her job is essentially to hold people um, as they come out of these experiences. Yeah, it's very, very lovely. And it's important to make sure that you have both the pre-integration proper care while you're there and then post integration so important when doing any psychedelic therapy like the anything like anything it's just so so important and also just to mention i mean uh especially people who are using ibogaine um and thank you for the clarification there. I was not aware of the actual difference between the two so that was really helpful but when using this medicine, having careful monitoring is really important. There have, you know, there are cardiac arrhythmias that can that can yeah. 
there have been fatalities, um, especially with larger doses being used. So it, it's really important that wherever you take this medicine, there is medical care on on um, on site. A full medical evaluation has been done prior um, to to taking this medicine. Um, and as you've mentioned, there is a really co- there's really comprehensive um, integration that's offered with with mm-hmm. the facility. So, uh, yeah, th- those seem really important points too. Yeah, the the real one is the QT interval. So if you look at an EKG, there's a little blip, the flat line, the blip. Um, Ebola will prolong that QT, and so yeah, having an EKG done prior. Um, a liver panel is important. We have a, um, two emergency room doctors who stay overnight during our ceremonies here. We've never had to use them for more than an IV. Um, but yeah, it's it's very important that the place you're coming to is doing proper screening. If you're if they're not asking all the medical questions, if they're not requesting an EKG, uh, if there's not going to be medical care there on site, the people aren't trained in using a defibrillator at least or CPR and AD. I mean, these are things that you need to be asking when you when you come to these places, and these structures need to be in place. If they're not, um, yeah, there's there's other places you can find that have these um, safety uh, pillars. They're really what they are. These pillars are safety because you're dealing with a person's life. And I I would also say too, um, with the fatality aspect of it, what you see actually is not so much um, during the treatment. What happens is that people go to these clinics. Um, they do these flood doses of ibogaine, and if you imagine these receptors in your brains being repaired back to a normal, healthy state, and so let's say before you're using, I don't know, let's just throw a milliliter volume. They're using 500 milliliters of a substance to get you high, and over time, you need to take one liter of this substance to get you high. Well, what happens is that after these people detox, they go home, and when they relapse, they go back to that one liter mark. But because their neurons, their, their receptors have been reset, now it's an overdose amount. And that's one of the biggest uh, biggest problems we see, or even people sneaking drugs into these treatment centers. And, and like I said, I don't work in the detox. There's people who, that's their calling, their vocation. And um, one of the elders I mentioned earlier, Maud, told us some stories about that. And um, she actually, yeah, there's, there's people who have lost their lives because they, they snuck drugs into the facility they detoxed, then they've relapsed on site. And you're, it's like you're relapsing from a newborn baby perspective. Yeah, it's a very, very difficult situation. It's why um, the care on the detox centers is 24 hours and it needs to be there. I need to ask those questions. Yeah, so important. So important. Mm-hmm. There was a few questions that I thought I would ask um, that came from my community. Uh, one of them I remember mm-hmm. actually because, and you've kind of answered it already, but... I am wondering the extent, but they were asking, do you vomit with Iboga? Does Iboga make you vomit? I'm guessing this person has worked with ayahuasca before, and obviously ayahuasca is really known to be a purgative, and uh, vomiting is part of a lot of people's journey with ayahuasca. So does Iboga have the same um, effect for a lot of people, or is it less common? Yeah, um, very similar. Um, obviously, vomiting feels more of a like a Western term for you drink too much or you're sick. Um, for me, it is more of uh, a, a purging of something. And so if you imagine 
imagine iboga is a root, yeah? And so if you were to hold in your mind's eye this vision of a tree and seeing the root system grow underground, right? The, what do the roots do? Something, some sort of intelligence inside of the seed, inside of the tree tells the roots to grow down to the darkest places of the earth. And what they do there is they extract nutrients and moisture from the soil, which they bring up the tree. And then you have the, the expansive aspect grabbing the light. And now you have this photosynthetic process occurring. Yeah. Well, if you imagine you're putting this root into your mouth, it's going to your stomach. Now imagine these roots spreading around throughout your system, just like they do in the earth for a tree. But instead of extracting nutrients or moisture from the soil, what they're extracting is the traumas in your body. And so you imagine it extracting the traumas in your body. And then yes, it comes out. Um, how common is it? It depends on what the person is coming to work with. Um, one thing you see with the Voga is if you do purge, your experience lasts, uh, it, it decreases in the time. And the reason is because it's a stimulant. And so if you don't purge, you have this wood bark in your stomach and you imagine there's a stimulant slowly slapping into your bloodstream over time. And so what we see is that some people, the medicine needs them to go through these type of elongated experiences. And so they don't purge. And for some people, we'll be in a journey with them. They'll relive a moment or they'll have some grandioso vision or awareness about their life. And all of a sudden, they'll purge on the spot. And that old pattern, that old conditioning, that old emotion will come out on the spot. And so the answer to that person's question is, yes, you do purge. Um, it is different from ayahuasca because it's not a liquid. Um, and so, yeah, there's a different quality or an aspect to it. Um, but if you're asking me, someone who sat with both medicines multiple times, the purging from ayahuasca is much more difficult for me. Um, there's just a quality that it, it's, it's very hard for me with Ebola. The purging feels very clean. And once it comes out, you're like, Oh man, there you go. And you can kind of lay back. It's a relief. It's a relief to actually have let go and um, let go that path. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that part of your identity. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, people are so put off by the, by, by the by vomiting but actually they don't understand the relief that you that you can feel uh it's a big part of the alcohol culture we come from the western world i mean how many i've i've thrown up plenty of times from drinking and you feel awful after you're like what am i doing to myself and so the brain has identified purging with um something negative but after you work in this space a, a long time you actually start to really welcome it and embrace it you're like oh thank you so much yeah yeah allowing you to let go um, another question was, can you do Iboga in the UK? Now, I did check this for this person, and it is not legal to to possess or uh, ingest Iboga in the UK, um, or Ibogaine for that yeah. matter. A lot of clinics that operate from the UK are actually doing their ceremonies out with the UK, either in Mexico or in Portugal. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like from my, from my research. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, I think legality speaking wise, um, yeah, you want to abide by those laws. That's why we open our center in Costa Rica. Um, and I will say too, um, if you're going to do it in a place where it's maybe not legal, um, a very important thing to understand is with Ebola is it's not something you're going to want to do in a, in a, in a room 
<laughs> in a crowded area, in a suburban space. It's something you want to do when you're out in nature. Um, there's a different quality and a grounding that comes when you're on natural land. Our property is 99 acres. It's in the middle of the jungle. Um, and so, yeah, trying to find a place where nature's around you will really help your experience. And so just to finish up, you're doing your thesis, your dissertation in the efficacy of a boga. And this is specific to those who have suffered from sexual abuse. What are your, what are your next steps? Like how are you using what you've learned and what have you learned so far um, in your work? I mean, I really feel the passion that you are operating within and how do you see yourself moving forward with, with all of this? Yeah. So, um, I'll be done with school in essentially two years. Um, at that point I open, I I'm planning to open a clinical practice right now. I have a, a private coaching, uh, business. Um, it's called authentic empowerment. I do spiritual and integration coaching for people. Um, it's just, if you Google authentic empowerment, Troy Valencia, you'll find me. Um, and you can also reach me through my Instagram. It's the soul integrator. Um, and so, yeah, I plan on opening a clinical practice, uh, and essentially my niche will be people who are interested in working with Iboga specifically. Um, and so I'll be able to work prep with them as a psychologist. I'll be able to serve them the medicine here on this retreat, and then I'll be able to work with them post as a psychologist in their, um, inner, in their inner work process. Um, and yeah, and then the next plan is I'm trying to find ways to get religious exemption in the States. Um, I would like to open uh, a church to make it more accessible specifically for, um, underserved communities. Um, you know, these retreats aren't financially the easiest to get to. Um, I begin clinics could cost tens of thousands of dollars. And so, um, for me, um, especially as someone of Gabonese lineage, where this medicine comes from, um, my father was Nigerian and Gabonese, who I've never met him. I just know from a genetic test. And my mother was French and German, and she passed when I was three years old. Um, and so for me, um, having a way or a route to get this medicine back into the um, American indigenous communities is very important for me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to find a way to establish a church. That's a nonprofit organization where people could come. They can join the Bui through the church. They can experience the medicine, learn the teachings and have that type of support. Um, yeah. And other than that, it, it's really just growing as a medicine provider here to awaken your soul. Um, I love the space here. I love what the owner did with this place. Um, yeah. The role he's given me in terms of empowerment and taking over leadership of uh, the ceremony space has just been uh, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a true blessing. And and like I said earlier, the real gift or the secret to this is to stay in your daily practice, right? To never let your ego get involved. Um, there's a beautiful book by Carlos Castaneda. I don't know if you ever read his books. Um, but in one of the books, he's Carlos Castaneda was a, a, a basically an anthropologist of sorts. And he documented his experience of meeting this Yaki shaman named Don Juan. And um, Don Juan teaches him at one point that there's these four enemies that we face in our lifetime. The first one is fear. He says that everyone's going to face fear and it stops the majority of people in their tracks, which makes a lot of sense. And he says that the way to get through fear isn't to go through it, but it's to be with the fear, to experience it in its fullness and embrace it and hold it. After you get through fear, you become, you find clarity. You're almost like, I know 
I see now. I see the truth. And he says the issue with clarity is that it blinds people. It, it, it actually makes you think you know more than you know. I don't know if it's Aristotle or Plato who at the end of their life said, as for me, all I know is I know nothing. Yeah. And so he says the way you get through clarity is to realize that you don't know anything. And if you need help with that, there's a beautiful book um, called The Voice of Knowledge um, by Don Miguel Ruiz. He's the author of The Four Agreements. It's a beautiful book. If you're interested in how to get past clarity and knowledge, read that book. And then the last one is Power. And uh, he says this is where the majority of especially men and get caught up in their life. And you see this in a lot of these medicine spaces where the person serving the medicine has this entitled sense of power, like it's like it's them. The last of the four enemies is old age. <clears throat> and in the book, the teaching is that the only way to de defeat old age is to constantly battle the first three enemies over and over. And so for me in my personal practice, yes, I do Qigong and meditation and all those things, sound healing, etc. But for me, it's constantly cycling through those first three um, enemies. And they say that once you do those for your lifetime, you become a man of knowledge. And so what I would say is for me, the personal practice is really about understanding that I am truly just a servant of the medicine and I could be replaced at any moment. And it's not me who's guiding you in the journey. It's not me who's assisting you. Yes, I'm going to school and taking on the student loans and all that aspect of it, but there's a deeper uh, force at play here. And when you can surrender to that, then people around you really start to receive um, and so for me, my life is just about honoring that always. And so I hope that when my last breath comes, like Don Juan says, that I can give it up consciously and be a man of knowledge as I transition. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I just want to really thank you for the work that it has taken to get you to this point. Mm -hmm. I can feel the dedication. I can feel the... I can feel the the service, the service, um, and it's coming from such a deeply authentic place. I feel quite humbled, and um, so I really want to thank you for the work you're doing in the world, and um, thank you for the time you've given me today, and you've shared so much of your personal and professional journey, which I think has given certainly given me a much deeper understanding and scope of how Iboga can be used in a much more compassionate uh, and spiritual yeah. way, which I think can open it up to those who feel called um, to, to it. So thank you so much for, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your work. Yeah. And I want to also honor you too. Um, we're all doing our little part. And this, um, there's a, yeah, soteriological systems like yoga are all about liberation. And each of us plays our little piece in that no person is more important than the other. So I want to honor you as well, too, because your voice, your spirit, your, your drive to call people together and make this community is, um, yeah, it's invaluable, especially in the world today where we rely on technology and these platforms such as podcasts. So thank you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hope to, uh, connect with you in Costa Rica one day. You come out here. I promise we will take care of you. Let's let us know when you're ready. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. 
or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.